1: Christians have always revered the word of God. It's God's way of speaking to us. So we believe that when the word of God is read and the word of God is preached, we are actually hearing the voice of God. So in that vein, when I finish the reading, I will just end it with, this is the word of the Lord. And in true reverence, we would, uh, respond by saying, thanks be to God, OK? So our reading today is taken from the book of John, chapter 20 verses 19 to 23. John 20, verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that, of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hand and sighed,
0: Okay. Good morning, everyone. Um, so, we are continuing with our series in the Gospel of John. We're coming towards the end of it now. Um, it's titled The series is titled The Believe and Leave Series, and this is just one of the um, messages in that series um, in the Gospel of John. Today, we look at a passage in 19 that has a couple of One might say odd sentences or odd verses that we would want to open up a little bit this morning. So I'll ask us all to join me as we pray. Please bow your heads. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you help us to understand you more and more. We pray that in your gospel, as you reveal it to us, that we understand more of our inheritance, more of our purpose, more of what you want us to get from it, O Lord. As we sang this morning, O Lord, we pray that you speak to us, O Lord, for your servants listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, I have a story. One day, my wife said to me, Francis, I said yes. She said, I need you to go and get me diapers for the baby. Actually, she had told me a couple of days earlier, a number of times, please, I need you to go and get diapers for me. The diapers I have is running out. And I kept on stalling until this day. She said, Listen, if you don't go and get diapers for me today, I would not have any diapers to use for the baby. I said, OK, I'm going to get diapers. So I took, I went out and I went to spa to go and get diapers. As I got to the entrance of spa, it's a long story, by the way. As I got to the entrance of spa, I pulled one of the carts, you know. And I started dragging it along on my way to get diapers, and then I remember that ah, I've wanted batteries for a while, you know, some AA batteries. So I said, okay, let me just go to the battery section and get some batteries. So I got a few batteries, I I saw that okay, maybe I wanted some rechargeable batteries as well. I got some of that, and then I remember that ah, my uh, somebody in my house had said that they needed some bread, and you know, I was passing the bread section. And then I saw some, you know, some nice looking loaves of bread. I said, ah, let me just get a loaf of bread. So I took a loaf of bread, I put it in the cart. And then I was rolling along. And then uh, I, I remember that ah, there are no drinks in the house. And there are visitors that will be coming. I said, let me try and see if I can get some fruit juice. So I picked up some fruit juice, put it into the cart. Um, and then I was going towards the area where they actually sell toilet roll. And I remember we don't have any toilet roll in the house. Maybe I should pick up some as well. So I picked up some toilet roll. And then you know, we had something we wanted to give to a friend. A gift we wanted to wrap. There was some wrapping paper there. So I picked up the wrapping paper. And then I just went to the till. And lo and behold, I saw a friend of mine. He was the one at the till. I was like, ah, it's a long time since I've seen you. And you know, we, 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 had, we, we tried to catch up you know, while I was paying for my, paying for my goods. And you know, at the end of everything, I wheeled the cart out. I went to the car. I put everything into the car, and then I got back home. And then, you know, I brought the bags out, you know, several bags at this, at this, point, at this point in time. And then I, you know, put them in the kitchen, and then my wife said, where are the diapers?
1: <laughs>
0: I said, ah! <laughs> and then I had to run out again and buy the diapers. So it's a bit of a funny story. It happened, though. It happened. My wife is here. She can tell you that it did happen. But actually, this is the sort of picture of what happens with Christians. We tend to get sidetracked a lot when we ought to focus on a particular thing or a particular mission that concerns us as Christians, as what we identify ourselves with. After the resurrection, the Lord sends the people that believe in him on a mission. Imagine how tragic it will be when we meet with the Lord and we are asked about this mission, and we say, how ah, but we raised godly children. I was very good at my job. Someone like Femi would say, you know what, I was never late for meetings. <laughs> <laughs> One good way to think about it, however, is imagine you were paid for the work, whatever you believe the mission of Christ is, whatever you think the mission of Christ is, imagine you were paid for it. Ask yourself that honest question. Would you be wealthy or would you be bankrupt? The four gospel accounts and the book of Acts record for us, after the resurrection of Christ, what many have come to know as the Great Commission. The most famous of these is in Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. And in that, Jesus Christ says to them, sorry, Matthew chapter 20, Jesus Christ says to them, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the passage that we have read this morning, we see perhaps what is the earliest record of this commission, of Jesus Christ sending the people that believe in him to actually take the message of the gospel to the world. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. It is on the first day of resurrection, it is on Easter day itself that he actually gives this command to his disciples. It says something about how urgent Christ considered this mission. Immediately he is resurrected. The first instruction he gives his disciples is what? As the Father sent me, so I send you. The title of today's message in the series of the Believe and Live series is Sent with Peace. And to help us this morning, I'd like us to consider the passage we have read under the three Points are the three following headings. Number one, awareness of the hindrances to the mission of Christ. Awareness to, of the hindrances to the mission of Christ. Two, being mission minded through the gospel of peace. And three, the message and authority of the mission. So join me. Let's start with the first one awareness of the hindrances to the mission of Christ. Verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, it is not uncommon. It's not unnatural for us to understand why the, why the disciples were, they had locked themselves up, right? Only a few days ago, their leader, their, their master, Jesus Christ, somebody that they loved dearly, somebody that they believed in and they followed with everything... Look at the way Jesus Christ actually got the disciples. It was a question of them leaving everything behind and following him. He was just killed. It is only natural for them to be afraid or to fear for their lives and lock themselves up. And this is what they did. Now, how were they able to how would they have been able to go out with the message of the gospel if they remained locked in? Tell you what, when I became a Christian, when I newly became a Christian and I was faced with the question of why don't you actually take the message of the gospel out? What, what prevents you from actually speaking about the gospel? I found out that most of the reasons I gave, or nearly every reason I gave, was linked to one thing and one thing only, and that is fear. Now, fear, of course, comes in different forms, right? But for me, it was more about fear of things that, on their own, you wouldn't really necessarily consider them things to be afraid for. And I find this to be true for most people, by the way. Of course, there are other reasons. But I find that fear is perhaps the greatest, the greatest thing that prevents people from actually speaking about the gospel. I'm afraid, I'm afraid my friends would think I'm a weirdo. I'm afraid my friends, my friends would think I'm an idiot. I remember when I was in Manchester then at work, I found it very difficult to be able to talk to my colleagues about Christ. If I mentioned it a little bit, you know, and I found a little bit of, you know, maybe somebody made a joke about it, I tended to just allow the joke to just kill the situation, you know, I didn't want to be seen as somebody that was always trying to you know, go against the flow, go, go against the, you know, the kind of attitude or the kind of atmosphere that was in the office. Here it's probably, you know what, let me just shut up. Before they start calling me Spirit Coco, you know, it's, it's a question of, oh, I don't want to as- associate myself with this kind of people, these people that seem to be very spiritist. You know, they seem to be, everything about them is all about, oh, Jesus, Holy Spirit. You know, I don't want to be associated with those kinds of people. So I don't want people to say anything about me in that sort of light. Bottom line is that one is just being afraid of embarrassment. That's what it is. We haven't locked people out like the disciples did for fear of what people might do to them. We have locked ourselves in because we are afraid of embarrassing. We are afraid that people will embarrass us. We are afraid of being embarrassed. We are still afraid even after Jesus Christ has resurrected. And that is key. Jesus Christ has risen. We are afraid even after he has defeated death. We are afraid even after he has shown us the victory that is going to be ours. How about lack of knowledge? Francis, you know what? I, I don't know what to say. When it comes to this gospel thing, you know, you know, you know this Bible, thing. I don't really know this Bible. Or Listen, before I can start this mission, it's a serious work. It's a very serious work. I need to go to seminary. I can't do this thing unless you know, I load up on knowledge. How, do you, how am I going to even talk about this, this gospel? How do I even express it? I had a, when, I, when I newly started working here in Lagos, I had a, a colleague, a much older colleague in, in the office. In fact, I, I, can't, I, I believe this has been my greatest challenge in terms of talking about the gospel to anyone in my life, ever. This guy was much older than I, I was. He had been very vibrant in his youth as a um, Christian leader. So he, was, he took part in everything to do with his university days as a, Christ, as a Christian. He led very many fellowships. He knew the Bible very well. But this guy was a self-professed atheist, a proud self-professed atheist. He would tell you things like he knows for certain that God does not exist. And he was basically just saying it all over the office. And this was the first person I, I met, and he, he basically challenged me. And I tell you, it was very difficult for me to be able to face up to him. Many times, where he and he was very well-read, by the way, very smart guy, much older than me, so obviously the age difference meant that I had to be very respectful. Sometimes he said certain things, and I wanted to just you know, retort back to him, and I just have to, you know, sir, that's not how it is, you know, especially when I wanted to say something else. You know, but he was very, very smart. I found out that, in terms of being able to respond to him with information, many times I didn't have what to say to him. My talking to him spanned over two years. The story hasn't ended about Abraham. That's the man saying Abraham. Ironic, isn't it? How about being busy? If you work in Lagos, nobody needs to educate you about how being busy can actually affect your life. People get depressed about the kind of work hours. Some jobs in Lagos, for instance, in Nigeria, I dare say, are brutal when it comes to work hours. Sheikh Mohammed was telling me the other day that they only just recently started allowing them to close early in the office. What about family commitments? In addition to your job, children? Maybe you have an extended family member or members that you care for. All of these things pile up in terms of your time, and you perhaps never even give thought to what the mission Of a Christian is. One more. Perhaps the biggest hindrance of all is the priority with which we view the mission of Christ. Some of us might see this whole thing about being missional, or the whole thing about the mission of Christ as something, one of those many things that we have to do. You know, we have to take care of our children, we have to do something about mission, we have to do You know, as as though these are all different pockets of things that we have to do. Or, for instance, we have to support missionaries in the field. When it comes to mission, that is the extent to which we ought to do our work. As long as there's a missionary somewhere in a country you've never been to or you don't know anything about, and we're supporting them, that is the extent of mission. I dare say that that is included, but that is not the mission of Christ that we have been called to. There is a sense in which we can take the mission of Christ and pocket it As though they are individual things that we have to do and not understand that it is the main thing that we have been called to do. It is not common for us to view bearing the message of the gospel as the main thing Christ has called us to do, having believed in Him. All of these hindrances in some way mirror the locked up scenario the disciples found themselves. Now, how do we get out of this locked up scenario? How do we embrace the mission that has been given to us and how do we perform it? I'm glad you asked because the text that we have read today helped us provide that answer. And that takes me to my second point. Being mission-minded through the gospel of peace. Verse 20 and 21. So Jesus, I'll start from the end of of 19. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, "Peace be with you." Now, the words that Jesus Christ utters when he comes into the room where the disciples are locked up in is um, a common greeting amongst Jews. The first time he utters it, "Peace be with you," it's not an uncommon greeting. It's something that you know, if if, if Jews hadn't seen themselves for a long time. And they, for a while, and they met themselves, they will say that to one another, peace be with you. It's like a greeting, a common greeting. Um, if you walked into somebody's house, for instance, and maybe went to visit them, it's something that you utter as well, peace be with you. So at first glance, one might think that this is just a greeting because Jesus Christ just came into their midst, and then he just utters the word, peace be with you. But here's the thing, he repeats it. He doesn't just leave it as a greeting as though he's saying it once, and then he carries on with the, with the rest of whatever he has to do or say. He says, peace be with you. He repeats it, but in between the two statements, there's something that he does, and that is very key. He shows them his hands and his sides. Why? Why is he showing them his hands and his sides? What does that have to do with peace? What does that have to do with the fact that he's, he's telling them, I bring you peace? I'll tell you. It is because he's showing them his hands and his sides is the, perhaps the clearest evidence that Jesus Christ, who was dead, is now, risen. now, that is so crucial. That is so crucial. The fact that he is able to demonstrate to them that this is not another Jesus. This is not another man. This is the person who was crucified. The reason why you are locked up in this room and are, and are afraid is because you fear for your life. You don't need to be af- afraid anymore. Why? The thing that you are afraid of the most, which is the fact that your master has been crucified, has been defeated, which is death. And the evidence is that, look, look at me. I was crucified. You can see the evidence of my crucifixion in my hands and in my side, but I am risen. It is perhaps the most important thing, and it is John conveniently sandwiches it between the two greetings of peace be with you. Why? Because the thing that troubles people the most, the thing that really bothers people, when you think about the difficult situations that you go through, when you think about the troubles that plague you, there is none that is worse than death so if the ultimate trouble the ultimate evil has been defeated why should you be troubled why should you be troubled the narrative of the gospel has changed the narrative of the gospel did not just be that did not just is not just that jesus christ came into the world he lived a life that was fulfilling of obedience he suffered a humiliating death on behalf of you and i now the narrative includes the fact that he is risen it is an important piece of what it means to be a Christian, to believe in the resurrection. It is the resurrection that brings peace. It is the resurrection that enables us to actually trust in Jesus Christ, not just for our lives here on earth, but for the, our lives after here. Now, John is very, very clear to actually state to us that the disciples were locked in a room. It is not a... Um, it's not a passing information that is given to us. It is a very telling thing for Jesus Christ to appear in a locked room like that. Again, it's pointing to the same fact that Jesus Christ is risen. Perhaps in a much more, much more glorious state than ever before. In a body that can never, ever, ever again be defeated by death. So Jesus Christ is risen. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. And this is what brings peace. Peace, as Paul says, surpasses all understanding. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we have all people most to be pitied. Now, think about it for a moment. If all that we do is focused here on this earth, if everything we think about, and many times, that's how we act. Many times, that's how we actually conduct our lives. We get very worried about the things here on earth. This is the reason why the Bible tells us for us to be anxious for nothing. Because we get very worried about children. We get very worried about our jobs, about illnesses, about traffic, about all kinds of things that have to do with here. Sometimes we get worried to the point that, if one of those things should actually fail, it's as if our lives are finished. It is the reason why the Bible encourages us, even when we lose a loved one, while we mourn, we don't even mourn as people who are unbelievers because we have a different identity. Because Jesus Christ is risen, we have a different end. That should give us peace. Peace. Because Christ is risen, we have peace in the face of tremendous difficulty because we are now defined by something much higher than that difficulty. It is not about the fact that you are jobless or you have just lost your job. It is the fact that Jesus Christ knows you and you know him. No matter the trouble, no matter the fear, you are peaceful. Why? Because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is risen and he gives us peace that overcomes all fear. In the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, one of the stanzas goes like this. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. But it's not just about the gospel of peace. Right on the heels of his repetition of the words, peace be with you, Jesus says something else at the end of verse 21. As the Father sent me, so I send you. But what does this mean? As the Father sent me, so I send you. Well, to begin with, it builds on chapter 17, verse 18, where Jesus said that he was praying, and he said, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world also. So first of all, the target of the mission is clear. The target of the mission is the world. You see, what happens when a man puts his faith in Jesus Christ is that he then, in a very real sense, is set aside for the gospel work. He's set aside for God, let me put it that way. In, in some way or the other, he is brought out of the world because he is no longer a part of that world. But here's what happens the mission of Christ sends that Christian back into the world to carry the message of the gospel, the message that he himself has received and has transformed his life to other people for the same experience. But John is very, very deliberate in this thing about God the Father sending the Son throughout the Gospel of John. In fact, if I count right, probably about 30 to 40 times, he mentions this thing about Father sending the Son. Jesus Christ himself repeats it over and over again. The Father sent me. The Father sent me. First of all, we see it in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have an eternal life. God sent his only son. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So you see that it is not just about who is sending who. It is about the purpose for which one is sent. So, fa- the father sends the son for a particular purpose. But that purpose is very deliberate. It is Jesus Christ being sent as a gift for the salvation of mankind. So that if anyone believes in him, that person is what? Is saved. And if a person doesn't believe, the person stands condemned already. In chapter 4, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And finish his work. And then in chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. I'm trying to make two points here. One is that it is the Father that sent the Son. And two is that the purpose for which the Father sent his Son is very singular. It is for the reconciliation of man back to God. It is for the forgiveness of sins. So we learn something very important here. Jesus Christ says that as the Father sent me, so I would send you. The similarities is not so much in, let's find every single thing that Jesus Christ did and let's see how we can replicate it. No, he's pointing us to the source or the reason to why the Father sent him. And that is the singularity of the mission of reconciling men back to God. Jesus Christ focused thoroughly on this one mission. He didn't waver. He never ever looked anywhere else. That was the singular mission. That was the singular purpose for why he came here on earth. And he fulfilled it, at least in part, by dying and resurrecting. famous theologian was looking at these verses and he says that in very many ways, while we can look at Jesus Christ's work and we can say it is finished, it is that same work that he calls us to continue. So it's not as though that Jesus Christ has finished his work and he has gone. Jesus Christ's work actually continues, but it continues through what? Through his church. His church that he is the head and the rest of his church actually do his work. So again, it is not about who is sending who, but we take an example from Christ himself in his singularity of purpose and focus on this one mission until it is accomplished. As long as we have believed in Jesus Christ, we are called to the same singularity of purpose to be mission-minded. So you may say to me, "Okay, Francis, I hear what you're saying, but how do we do this? This is, this is actually quite hard. You're not just telling us to talk about the gospel every now and again. You are saying that there ought to be a change of our mindset. How do we go about this? Well, let me offer six or seven things that I think would help us a little bit practically, especially in what we live in. Number one, make friends." Develop friendships, especially with non-believers. Now, I would say that it's very hard here in Lagos, or should I say in Nigeria, for you to actually say that you actually have friends that are non-believers. In fact, let me put it this way. It's very, very rare for you to, if you're a Christian, associate yourself with friends that that have no idea about who God is. Many people have some idea of what God is. Many people will probably celebrate Christmas with you when you're celebrating Christmas. If you ask them what happened, they will tell you, ah, it's Jesus. It's Jesus that we're celebrating, Abby. You know, many of them, will, many people, people that are non-believers will celebrate Easter with you, obviously because of the festivities around the periods. It's very, very rare for you to find people that would uh, acknowledge that they have no knowledge of God because of the country that we live in. But I dare say that we would we would most of the time or many very many times come across people who are non-believers and it is very 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 encouraging for us to make friends with them now making friends with them is not just an empty making of friends it's not just be their friend and just be their friend so that when they see you you know doing something that they will ask you a question no be very purposeful about it if you're making friends with a non-believer have at the back of your mind that you ought to be mission minded two pray for opportunities as you make friends and as you are deliberately trying to be mission-minded, pray that God cracks that door open for you. He just opens up a way for, you to, for somebody to just ask you something about your faith or for you to be able to offer something about Jesus Christ, for you to just have an opportunity to present the gospel. Three, if you're one of those people that think that you don't have enough knowledge, well, let me tell you the knowledge that you have that is better than any other person's knowledge. It is your own experience. So share your story. Share your story of how you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. You are the best person to tell that story. Number four, invite them. You say invite them to where? Invite them to church. Invite them to gospel communities. Invite them to your home. Let them see what it it is like to be in a Christian home. Invite them to have a meal. Invite them out. Take them out for, 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 for lunch or something. Somebody once said that it is amazing the amount of conversions that happen when four feet are arranged under a table eating a meal. When you just say, let's just go for lunch, and then the kinds of conversations that could happen as a result of that. Number five, love them unconditionally. Now, there's a tendency for us to, if you try to present the gospel to someone and somebody is very resilient or a person doesn't want to listen, you know, you're like, ah, this, this guy is not even serious. In fact, let me, let me just leave, leave this person. And you just tend to brush somebody off away like that. In fact, when I was in Manchester, in fact, I had, it wasn't long after I became a Christian, I was on a bus and I was talking to a colleague of mine. We were going to work together. And I was talking to a colleague of mine and this guy just annoyed me, as in literally annoyed me. He just said, listen, everything that has to do with Christianity, in fact, he believes that all Christians are fools, that um, if you believe in a God that you cannot see and that tells you and somebody somewhere claims that it tells you what you ought to do and you cannot um, you cannot see for yourself and know that this is somebody's manipulation then Christians are just generally fools that there is no god whatsoever you know what i literally was at the point of beating this guy up i i honestly wanted to punch him he was sitting beside me and i wanted to punch him in the mouth love them unconditionally number 6 pray for god's fruit Our job is not to convert people. Our job is not to, our duty is not to ensure conversion of men. Our duty is to bear the gospel of light. So pray for God's fruit. There are two areas that I've talked about prayer now. Pray for the opportunities for God to crack that door open and pray for God's fruit. Number seven, and this will lead us to verse 22 we are not left without help. We are not left without help. And in verse 22, Jesus Christ says, sorry, and John says, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to get into some of the difficulties that could arise from here as regards if the disciples actually received the Holy Spirit in this particular case. As a matter of fact, there is a parallel um, account of this event in Luke. And there, Jesus Christ says to them, wait in the city until I send you the, the, until the Father sends you the paraclete, or until the Father sends you the comforter. Wait in the city. And they did that. They actually waited in the city until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended upon them. But what Jesus Christ is saying here is much more remarkable. He's saying that I am not going to leave you without help. This thing about sending out the message of the gospel, is a task, yes. It's a daunting task, yes. But it is not a task that you are left alone with. The Holy Spirit will help you. And the Holy Spirit helps us in multiple ways. One, it is the Holy Spirit that would help us overcome the fear that we talked about earlier on. Look at the example of the apostles for heaven's sake. These people were locked up in a room even after Jesus Christ appeared to them. Jesus Christ had to appear to them multiple times. And in very many cases, what happens? They found themselves locked up in the room again. So they were obviously afraid. The kinds of brutal deaths that people went through in that time is enough to make any one of us in this room shiver in our, in our, in our shoes. What we call fear now, you know, fear of embarrassment and all of that, it pales in comparison to what these guys were actually facing in terms of the fear. So even every single time, even after Jesus Christ came... In Luke's account, Jesus Christ showed them his hands and his side. And he says to them, why are you troubled? Why do you have doubts in your mind? Okay, bring food. Bring fish, I will eat fish with you. And he ate fish with them. After he left, they were locked up again. Until what happened? Until the Holy Spirit descended upon them on Pentecost. And then you see the boldness with which propagated the gospel until it got to you and I today. So the Holy Spirit helps with us to help us overcome that fear. Whether it's a lack of knowledge, whether it is the fear of being embarrassed, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit helps us overcome that. But better still, the Holy Spirit is the one that does the converting. So we carry the message of the gospel, but the power of that message is the Holy Spirit. Christ has not left us helpless. We see that the Holy Spirit helped the disciples overcome their fear but we also see that it is the Holy Spirit that is the one that converts. So I say to you this morning, do not be discouraged. If you have someone that you've been talking to about the gospel for for a while, perhaps a family member, a very close friend, that you've been praying to God for that person's salvation, do not be discouraged. Continue to pray for that person. And this takes me back to my third point. So we've looked at three points. We've looked at we looked at two points already, awareness of the hindrances to the mission of Christ. It is our duty for us to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, what is the thing that actually stops us from taking this gospel out? We have to be mission minded. It is not enough to just want to evangelize. It is not enough for us to just say, we'll wait until the church actually organizes a program for us to actually take the gospel out. There is a responsibility on us as Christians to be generally mission-minded. We have one purpose as Christians. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, your mission in this life is to actually take the gospel out. And the third one is the message and the authority of the mission. The message and authority of the mission. That's verse 23, but we'll start at verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That is a bit of a strange statement, isn't it? If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Just a mere reading would be like, Okay, you know what? Let's go and find the people that will be forgiving their sins. You know, Let's just... It's, we've, been given, we've been told that's what we have to do. So let's go and find people that we can, tell, we can say to them, your sins are forgiven and your sins are not forgiven. But that is not exactly the way we ought to look at those verses. And the clue to how we read those verses is in the statements before. Jesus Christ talks about the mission of his followers. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And then he talks about the thing that empowers that mission. And he says that it is what? The Holy Spirit. And then right on the heels of that, he says, whoever, if you forgive anyone's sins, they remain forgiven. And if you do not forgive anyone's sins, they remain unforgiven. The clear context here is in the message of the gospel. Because the gospel itself is the thing by which one's sins are forgiven or not. And so when Jesus Christ says that, as the Father sent me, so have I sent you. And then he says, as you forgive anyone's sins. It is the same mission of the gospel that he's talking about. So that when we preach the gospel and we say to people that if you believe in Jesus Christ, then your sins are forgiven. Truly, if that person believes in Jesus Christ, in heaven his sins are truly forgiven. It is simply through the message of the gospel that men are brought to repentance and receive God's forgiveness. Or men remain unresponsive and left and are left in their sins, we are the ones that carry that message. We are the followers of Christ. We are the ones that carry the message that say to people, believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Now, not only do we have the message of the gospel, but we also have the authority. Now, how do we know we have the authority? Because Jesus Christ says to us that as we carry that message, what we proclaim about that message is surely what it is in heaven. What we proclaim about that message, what we proclaim about people being forgiven when they put their trust in Jesus Christ, that is exactly what it is. We do not go about on our own authority. We do not go about with us by ourselves thinking that there is some power in and of ourselves that we have to grant people forgiveness or not. Because that power is reserved for what? For God. And God has prescribed a way by which man can be forgiven, by which mankind can be reconciled back to him. It is through the belief in Jesus Christ who died and was resurrected. So we have a gospel narrative, and that is Jesus came, he lived, he died, he resurrected, and he was glorified. That is the message that we take to people so that if people believe in this person called Jesus, then their sins are forgiven. Let me give you some final remarks about all of this if we try to put some of all of this together. Number one, if you're here and you don't have any experience with the gospel or you're not a Christian or you have struggled with this thing about believing for a while and you don't know what to make of it or you're just exploring, let me invite you to believe in Jesus Christ. Not just the the word Jesus, but the Jesus Christ who is risen from the dead. He is the one that can give us peace. He is the one that by his resurrection we get an assurance because as Paul says that he is the first fruits of our resurrection. And so by believing in him, we are so assured of our life in him that we have nothing else to be afraid for. You cannot take part in this mission if you do not believe in him. In fact, As a matter of fact, Let me say that if it's something you're exploring, if Christianity and believing in the gospel is something that you're exploring, I will ask you to invite someone to explore along with you. Tell them to come along. You know, sometimes it helps for you to be able to butt heads with someone that has like minds like you. Number two, you may have accepted the gospel and do believe in Jesus, but often you struggle to share your faith. Maybe you're busy, very, very busy. And genuinely, you can be. You can be really busy that things of this life have taken over your thoughts, your minds. You don't know, you know when, how to get out of the, the snare that you find yourself in, in terms of how busy you are. Think about and reflect on the gospel that brought you to Christ. Because it is only through that gospel that you can re-identify what your mission is? Did that gospel touch you? Did it change your life in such a way, in a real way, that makes you run back to the cross every time? And if it did, it is worth sharing, isn't it? We've talked about the gospel of peace. That peace comes because Jesus Christ has defeated death. That is the message that you ought to carry. Will you be mocked? maybe maybe you'll be embarrassed and labeled in a very negative way why don't you look to Jesus who went through much worse embarrassment better still why don't you look to a risen Jesus Jesus Christ who has been resurrected from the dead number three as we wait for the Lord This mission is work unfinished. It started with Christ, who was sent by the Father. It was continued by his disciples and the first century Christians. But it has been passed on to us. And as long as Jesus Christ tarries in his coming, that work remains unfinished. And it is urgent work. The mission remains the same to reconcile men back to God through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That through Jesus who is risen, the Messiah, the Son of God, if anyone believes, then may have life in his name. So we've looked at three things today. One is for us to actually Look at ourselves and think about how mission-minded we are. Or the hindrances that stop us from actually taking the gospel out. The only way to overcome all of this is to rely on the gospel. The gospel of peace. Do not be troubled about anything. For you have Jesus, the risen Jesus, on your side. We have this message of the gospel and we have the authority of Jesus Christ. There's a man in 19... uh, uh, an English Christian and hymn writer in the 1900s. His name is Frank Horton. And he basically gave nearly all his life towards missions in China. He's a, he's a hymn writer because, uh, in fact, he wrote, he's written a couple of hymns. Um, but the one that he wrote in the middle of some of his diffi- most difficult times while he was in China on mission is one that has been recently revived. And I'd like to read you some of the words of that hymn this morning. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. A need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee, renew before thy throne. The solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. We bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message, ours. Fired by the same ambition, to thee we yield our powers. O Father who sustained them, O Spirit who inspired. Savior whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired. From cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake. Forth on thine errands send us. To labor for thy sake. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven. May your name be praised. May your name be glorified. And we thank you because you raised Jesus from the dead. We thank you because by your grace you sent Jesus to us, to this world, to reconcile men back to you. And you have, through him, granted us the privilege of carrying on with the mission. Look upon us with mercy, O Lord, and help us to recover from where we have failed. Grant us the grace to look inwards and be forensic about what causes us to fail at certain points in time. Help us to rely on your gospel, O Lord. For it is only through the gospel that we can recover and we can change our mindset to become mission-minded. Remind us of the contents of the message and that you have given us authority to speak that message. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.